This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! This is That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Lisa Traeger. And I'm Kara Clank. And you guys, you know what's up. We talk about SVU. We talk about a true crime. We talk to a person that was in the episode that we watched. And we- Big one today. Yeah. And we have great chats and a lot of fun. And let's catch up. I mean, we were just in, you guys know we're in the time machine, so don't get, don't (laughs) take out your calendars. But like we- We're just in Montreal together. That was fun. Thank you to everybody that came out to the Montreal show. That was to the conference room, a dream come true. To the conference room, (laughs) but those conference room chairs were the best conference room chairs I've ever seen. They do lean back because I went to a panel there, and there's like a little give in there, so it's really nice. That's they're thinking of the people. Yeah, Yeah. technology has gone forward in um, conference room chairs. I guess. What was the thing you said during our show where you were like? But it goes to blank at ha okay. ha ha dot. Okay. So um, I got, so I was in Montreal for a long time and I was doing the Nasty Show with Sophie Buttle, who is a comedian. And she was doing the Canadian keynote speech. There's like keynote speeches every year. And I missed hers, unfortunately. But she was like, you know, talking about stuff that um, she was going to talk about. The festival had a zero tolerance policy for sexual assault. Anything weird they want. There's a code of conduct. They send out. They just want to make sure no one's like taking their dick out in the hotel, right? So, but the email address Sophie noticed was um, zero tolerance at ha 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 dot com. <laughs> <laughs> and so we all really Which loved is that. <laughs> the website for the festival and too funny and perfect for words. And I remember like 
because somebody wrote it in, because oh, the episode we just did last week was called Zero Tolerance and somebody oh wrote God. the comments, zero tolerance at hahaha.com, <laughs> somebody that was at our show. That the best listeners so um, loved the sweatshirts. I loved seeing all your faces. The, the, the girls who drove from Toronto, you're nuts, but thank you so much. Um, but then the girl who gave me an edible, was that instant relief? Was that like instant <laughs> release? She was zonked so hard on this edible. <laughs> we went to a show and she was like, I'm so fucked up from that edible. <laughs> Get me a Cosmo. So then I just like <laughs> added. Um, but I hosted some shows. I truly um, definitely had so much fun and we had fun. I mean, Kara got fucked over hardcore yeah. travel-wise. If you, if you follow, I put it on the TMU Instagram a little bit, but like... I just had like a plane get canceled and then I had to take a red eye to Orlando. And like, it was just, it caught a day of my time in Montreal out and it was a travel nightmare, but honestly worth it. So much fun. The fest is so fun and the, t and the city of Montreal is so awesome. Like I was loving the French vibes and I walked to my midnight show by myself and the streets were just like summer in the city, hotties on the street, everybody smoking cigs and trying to hook up. It was like very... Like, I just haven't walked down a street like that in a long time because I guess when I'm in New York, I'm usually... I don't know. I, I haven't seen packed-ass summer streets like that. It was pretty That's wild. That's a lie. We were at Allison's show in June having I a great know, time in it, the streets. You're right. You're right. And then we were in the West Village and it was kind of crazy because it was Pride, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So it was a little bit crazy. You're right. It just... um, It was... It was fun. But we also saw Trixie Mattel Oh my God. Live, and that was very fun. She did an 12, outdoor amazing show. 12,000 people. Yeah. There were 12,000 people and two people collapsed. Yeah. I didn't know that excited. until I didn't she told after. me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what was cool is Kara and I kept meeting up with young, powerful women in Hollywood that are well-dressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to do a top 10 list of the best dressed young females <laughs> in Hollywood. And they kept getting us closer. It would be like someone would get a text and be like, this way. Okay, yeah. I can get us on a ramp. I can and figure so it out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we have our own like, bar now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We kept getting closer, but then it rained and Trixie did like an encore in the rain and we were under a tent because we were with the young, powerful Hollywood women. And so... It was truly, yeah, Trixie was Mattel fun, was my highlight. Yeah. I got to see some conflict. I squashed a beef, um, ate some beef, whatever. I, I, I had a, we had a great time and the show was fun. So thank you for yeah. coming. Yeah, it was great. Oh, wait, speaking of zero tolerance, which we were just bringing up. So oh, a couple people have messaged us and wait, let me look it up because I don't want to say it wrong. So... Apparently, in the episode Zero Tolerance, when the boyfriend of Rollins comes to the apartment and starts, like, just reading a book to her out of nowhere, it turns out that the book is written by Peter Herman, a.k.a. Mr. Mariska Hargitay. Whoa. And he's a children's book author. So... The book is called uh, S in Moose Comes Loose, and it was written by Peter Herman, who is Mr. Mariska Hargitay, and apparently he's written a bunch of kids' books. Like, he's the author of several, many children's books, and I was shocked. I didn't think that that man could get more perfect. He's a talented actor. He's gorgeous. He looks like a great father. And now he writes kids' books, too. Honestly, Good I'm job. shocked that you didn't mention personal uh And he represents detergent. cleanliness as the personal laundry detergent. You always mention the personal, which I, I didn't even know was a company. 
Oh, I didn't either until he became their spokesperson. Yeah, they did a good <laughs> job hiring him because now I know what Purcell is. Yeah, exactly. Um, So other SVU news, but adjacent, I was on a Delta flight and I did watch the movie A Week in Paradise with uh, Stone, <laughs> ADA Stone, uh, Philip Winchester, Connie Nielsen's in it, you know, Danny Beck. We don't love her. She plays Malin Ackerman's cousin. Malin Ackerman's... Um, first of all, this is a, ch- a, a chicken soup, a soul for the chicken soup production. No. Chicken Soup for the Soul has a production company? It's the movie. Yeah. It's a chicken soup. What is it? What is it? (laughs) Chicken Soup for the Soul. Yeah. (laughs) So it's that kind of movie. I didn't even know they make movies. So Malin Ackerman's like an actress. Her husband cheats on her, gets a younger actress pregnant. So her cousin owns a resort and is like, honey, come to the resort. So she comes to the resort and Stone is a chef on the resort. And so they start kneading dough together and throwing flour at each other's faces. Um, it is so bad. I th- I just it needed seems a bad like a movie. Lifetime movie that got onto Delta somehow. It feels very like Lifetime, like Hallmarky. It w- yeah, but I w- that was what I was in the movie. I'm like, I just need something bad on the yeah. background and I'm going to pass out. I'm fucking tired. Ed. And I couldn't, e- it was that bad that I could not just- even enjoy the bad. Like, yeah. It Distractingly so... bad. Distractingly. Well, it's like a bad that keeps you up. <laughs> and I'm a huge fan of Malin Ackerman throughout um, the years, but she doesn't, you just got, can you, she's not good. She's not a good actress here. <laughs> I don't know what to say. She's not good. She cannot um, get the emotional, the emotions right of like, okay, I just got cheated on. My life's falling apart and I'm a famous actress. So everyone knows about it. Yeah. And it's like, she couldn't really like portray the sat. I'm like, can you, j- not one wet eye. There's a reason she hasn't been on SVU. Okay. She can't get the wet eye look down. Like there were no <laughs> tears. There was nothing. And the resort looked janky. Like they walk into the resort and she goes, this is beautiful. I know why. And I'm like, that looks like a bat mitzvah table. Like this is not... <laughs> It was bad. But then I watched um, under Red Panda. Red Panda. Turning Red. Turning Red. Loved, a great I movie. I loved it. I a really loved it. A great movie. That. Great movie. Metaphor for menstruation. Metaphor for anger. Like, it's great, that movie. Great woman. Great movie for, like, little girls to see. I can't I can't wait for Rosie. She's seen it already, but she doesn't get it, you know? I can't wait for and her to see it. And the animation's cute. Like, it's yeah. fluffy. Like, it's really, yeah. really cute. Yeah. And the kid, like, yeah, I like all the, I like that they're obsessed with Four Town also. It's like the boy band vibes. Like, that's really fun. Well, I also like that there is five members in Four Town. And it's like, <laughs> what's going on here? So I like that there's jokes. And um, Sandra O's in it, but that's the only voice um, I recognized. I waited for the cast yeah. list. So I did, it was all like... Um, Young people, I think that yeah. I don't know about. Um, okay, tell us about Skims. I did. You were ordering Skims, and then I was sad to tell you that Chloe got mad at Kim and said the Skims like the pussy's too small on it, like <laughs> that it's like the sizing is insanely small. And you got the Skims today. You got okay, the so I got the Skims today. I was told that they run small, so I did get an LXL. When it came out of the box, I was on FaceTime with Lisa. Like, I just happened to be on FaceTime with Lisa and I opened them up and I go, this looks like a bathing suit for Rosie. Like, when it, I will actually put, I took a photo and I'm going to post it on the Instagram when this episode comes out. And literally, I was like, how am I going to get my body into this? I got my body into it. And it sucks everything in pretty good. Um, I will say that comment about the, um, uh, the crotch area being small it seems right on. It's only two snaps. I'm used to like a three snap situation down there if I'm ever going to be wearing a snap 
crotch. So we'll see. I'm going to wear it to go try on some dresses and we'll see if it just like pops open and like all the sausage comes out of the casing. But, you know, for me- It's a good product. You're into it for now. I think so far it's good. I got to see how it looks with dresses. But it, I mean, I couldn't believe when I first was getting it on, I was like, this this won't come on me. This won't come. And then it went on and I was like, okay, sucking everything in, skimming me out, doing whatever it's supposed to be doing. So, so far I give it a good grade, but we'll see what happens when I wear it for like an entire event. Maybe it's going to like, Maybe it's going to, like, make my vagina go numb because it's, like, too tight. Who knows? We'll see. And speaking of, you know, cinching, tightening, dresses, we got to talk Drag Race finale. Yeah. The finale we knew was coming. Um, yeah. No. Um, fast yeah. forward, if you have not watched the finale of All-Star 7, the winner's winner's season, I just, um, I'm happy. I love Jinx, but... We love Jinx. It's fine. She won a lot. She is very talented. They all love her, it seems. But, like, don't have a lip sync finale if you're not going to count the lip sync. Yeah. Or at all. Remember Jasmine last season where they had her, like, keep having to sing and she kept winning, but they kept making her go home anyways? Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you're not going to count the lip sync, just don't have it. Like, do something else. I just don't understand. That's We what can I see think. Monet won. We see it. We, we have eyes. Yeah. Like, right. Like, it's like, just do a different, do like a, a finale that is more multifaceted, a bunch of stuff to do. Maybe there was like a production issue. Maybe it was like, oh, they've already issue. blown all no. their good. <laughs> no, production wanted the winner they got. That's production. Yeah, but I they can think... still make anybody win whenever they want. Like, I just, I think it's anticlimactic because I don't think lip syncing is the best thing that drag queens do. I think it's an awesome thing they do, but it's not the most interesting thing to me. I like the end of the regular seasons where it's like, we write our own verse. We do choreography. We've got like a full executed part of a music video that is to show my final performance. And then there's a runway or whatever, you know? Like, I just don't think that just a lip sync is, to me, that's not like a deciding factor on like the full season, you know? Yeah, like a read you wrote you is what you really want, huh? Yes. Oh my God. Like, I mean, how iconic is read you wrote you? No, I still talk about it to this day. And uh, the pit stop even, was great. Yeah. I even love step into the uh, step into the plate. I'm Trixie Mattel, <laughs> like you know that the Kitty Girl video that they did for All Stars Three. You know, well, yeah, I still like I'm a champion, but I am <laughs> happy for Raja and I'm happy for all of them. But it's just like we're smart viewers. We've been watching this for over a decade, right? Like, yeah, I I'm late to the game, but there's seasons upon seasons. We've been watching seasons on seasons. We don't do drag, we don't do drag, but like. We see who's doing better. I don't know. In the lip sync. It's pretty but. clear. Yeah. But, you know. It was great. Lucky to have it. And I can't wait for more Drag Race at all times. And I'm here and I'm going to be watching. And I would love another winter season. And I think they could do it. I think they could yeah. take Priyanka from Canada. We can get... Um, who the, I love Bimini. I don't even remember who won UK season two. Uh, no, no, it was um, Lawrence Cheney won Lawrence that Cheney. Season. We can get an Aquaria going. I don't know. I would want yeah, more. Who else? I thought of someone. I said I thought Sasha would maybe do it. I don't think Bob or Trixie would do it. I, I, Alaska says on her podcast, she's like, I would do it, but I don't think she would. Um, and then I think that Trinity, um, I think that uh, Bibi Zahara Benet would do it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Tiki tiki ta ta on pussy bitch. Okay, we should start our episode because Wait, I do listen. I do watch. Um, I've been going to sleep to like Trixie compilations and just YouTube's of pit stop all stuff. Whatever. Um, it's comforting, but they were Trixie was making me laugh so hard. How like on that All Stars three, how they all had to do like a parody of Soup, and they were just making fun of Bibi's heart <laughs> because she was just, like <laughs> the peanut, and this is an African recipe, and it's this in the soup, and it's like Chabaroo. no, it's a joke. Yeah, it's like. A <laughs> Joke, girl, stop. And they're like, she's tasting recipes for the soup she's putting together. And like, it just really was cracking me up. Uh, Anyways, television's amazing. Montreal was great. We love SVU. I don't know. Skims, now, I guess, is great. Yes. Yeah, Dane Cook's I- engaged to a 23-year-old, you know. Dane Cook? Dane Cook got engaged. Oh. Yeah, it was um, long. It said like finally a long time coming. Hold on, let me go on the trending. It was like the number one trending thing on my Twitter page. Obviously, the article is engaged to longtime girlfriend, but she's twenty three. So, <laughs> well, I don't know. So the yeah, couple, he's 50. the couple closes up a decades long romance. Um, yeah, so wow. they started dating when she was eighteen. That's that's it's cool. Sick. That's cool. I think that's cool. I think that's really cool. I think you have a lot in common and that that's really cool. I don't know. Maybe she gets to like, it's like the woman that we covered that's with Don McLean, you know? So you have to fuck an old man, but you don't have to work. I don't yeah. know. I think Maybe Chuck Lorre and his influencer wife, who's 30 years younger than him, it just broke up recently as well. You know, I just want her to walk away with something. Um, I also saw Chelsea Devante posted that the the Naomi Judd, that's the main, that's the mom, right? The matriarch. She left no money to Winona or Ashley in the will. Really? Yeah, she left everything to this man. Jesus. The man, a man she was in a relationship with? Yeah. Jesus. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, lots of fun chats, but let's get started because we've got a great episode for you guys today. A classic. Classic. All right. So thrilled. I feel like I wanted to do this episode since we started. This is my Ari Grainer of episodes. (laughs) Season two. Such a thrill. It's called Taken. So... This episode opens on a big party in a hotel lobby. I'm actually in a hotel right now. Kind of wild. (laughs) There's golden black balloons. There's a big band. Lots of press. um, But it does look lame. It doesn't look like a badass party um, at all. And then there's a big applaud break when this man that looks like Sean Connery approaches the podium in a suit to speak into the mic. And he has a ton of preppy business people around him, children dressed for Easter vibes, and then one black man who I think is used as an example of how the hotel is not racist. (laughs) It's just kind of classic. Um, He says people said it couldn't be done, but he wanted to outdo himself. And it's like, no one is saying that. No one cares about you and your hotels (laughs) at all. Um, And then while he's talking, it cuts to a juggler entertaining children. And Thorpe, this Sean Connery-looking man, is explaining that this is the first five-star family-friendly hotel. Is that a true thing? I don't know, but I truly don't think that a hotel where children are allowed to run rampant could be five stars. <laughs> like, and I say that as a mom. Like, I just, like, you're not having a five-star experience if you're at a pool where a kid is cannonballing next to you. Like, this just not happening. 
like in my opinion. I mean, but there are hotels where they have like under 21, over 21 pools. And I like that. And that's probably good, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know how common five-star family-friendly hotels are. A lot of resorts are five-star and you can bring your kids. What's I about to say? Are there five-star hotels that don't allow families? Like, I, I just... <laughs> I, I think maybe they're playing up like luxury experience with your kids rather than like trying to force your kids into the five-star experience. You know, maybe they're like, we offer childcare and we do this and that. That I guess could be cool if you had the money. I mean, they got to be charging a lot. Um, we do have friends that sneak into this really nice place in Ojai and then they'll bring their baby into the adult pool and then would complain about people complaining. I went to the, I had that happen to me at that same pool. I went to that pool, but I didn't sneak in. I stayed there for two days with my sister. And one day we brought Rosie. She was a baby. She was like so little. She never, she was like never crying. She was unnoticeable. And then they were fine with it. And then the next day we brought her back and they were like, she's not allowed here. And I was like, okay. So we like moved to the kid pool. It was kind of humiliating, but I was like, why was she okay yesterday? But I have heard about our friends. And I believe that that same friend got a free night by complaining. Really? Yeah. Wow. But because (laughs) it's amazing to get a free night for breaking the rules. (laughs) Yeah. Also, are you, did you notice like, this is maybe the biggest extra scene I've seen on SVU. There are like 300 people at this party. It's a giant ballroom lobby. And it's season two. It's like, are you guys getting, what's the extra budget? Like, there's so many people in this fucking scene. It's really, like, you know, a lot of times they can fake a party, but like, they're doing wide shots of like tons and tons of people at this hotel lobby. Didn't even notice. Yeah, there are a lot of people at this party. I don't know why I always notice that. I always think of how much things are costing. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm also like, um, who goes to these hotel parties? It's just like, I want to (laughs) know how realistic any of this is. I'm sure it is. It's based on a crime. Hello, we're here. But um, so anyways, it's Thorpe Castle. He's welcoming everyone. We're back. And this hotel means the most to him because he loves his family. Everyone claps and continues dancing to big band music. The (laughs) elevator doors open. I always think of Elaine Bennis when I think of big band music. Is that what she's dancing to when she does the Elaine? No, when she's working for Mr. Pitt, he wants to hold the Thanksgiving Macy's Day Parade float balloons. And to win a spot to hold the rope, you have to call a big band radio station and name the band. <laughs> and she says her dad loves big band. So that's how she knows it. I cannot remember that episode. That is so funny. Is that a sick reference? Okay, I need help. I need to read a book. <laughs> You remember everything about Seinfeld. So, well, because I'm getting ready for one day dominating trivia. Okay. <laughs> They're dancing, everyone's partying, and then the elevator doors open and a young woman, aka maybe a teen, we're not sure, young, stumbles out covered in blood and grasps the first man she sees for help. She's in a lavender baby doll style dress with a headband. She is in pain and she was raped. The man in the suit is met with a few like other men in suits and they carry her off to the back credits. We're back with another view of the party. This part, a lot of shots of the party. Um, (laughs) Now there are giant costume chickens, pink teddy bears, and the cameras like pan away from the party down to the elevators. We see a short-haired Benson walk in with Stabler and um, a man with a suit and an earpiece. We can assume a security meets them and is like, please smile. We can't have anyone upsetting the party. Like, what? You can't not smile at a party. This is sick. This place is sick. Um, 
they don't smile, the detectives. Uh, so we cut to a man in a light-colored suit yelling at two men in dark suits. He brings up that the brochure called the hotel as being sa- as safe as in your mother's arms. That's bad advertising and marketing. Whoever came up with that <laughs> needs to be fired in their department of brochures. Like, it's like, cre- I mean, who who does that appeal to beyond a toddler? That's just really, oh, that's weird. Yeah, and perverts. The detectives walk in and introduce themselves and ask what happened. And the light suit guy says his sister, Siobhan, was attacked. She's laying on the couch. She's covered in a blanket and her face is banged up so fucking bad. Makeup did incredible. And Benson sits next to her and starts talking in a gentle tone. Security guy says, we called you ASAP. And Stabler goes, no, you fucking didn't. You pulled a bunch of strings first. There are no blue and whites here. There's no uniforms inside. You're obstructing justice. And the security guard's like, nah, I was on the job 20 years. So... I know what obstruction is, and it's not this. Then another man starts babbling, and Stabler's pissed, and he's like, an attorney? You brought an attorney here before calling us, okay? So you are bad. Um, So he's caught. He knows it. Siobhan tells Benson she's 17. She starts to cry when to, like, she starts explaining what happened. She's like, I've already said this three times. I don't want to do this. Uh, Benson does not push her and says, let's just get you to the hospital. Siobhan is struggling hard, even to sit up, right? She is in a lot of pain. Her dress is torn, and she has a gold cross necklace on. So she starts talking to Olivia, She says she went into her room. She saw her clothes and makeup were all over the floor and she didn't understand why. So she just stood there staring and then she saw a man she did not know. She tried to run, but he slammed her face into the door and her acting is amazing. He grabbed the phone. He hit her with it and she's really struggling to get out um, and to get it out. You know, she's she's trying to get out of the room and get the story out, um, but says that he did rape her. We cut to Munch and Finn entering the security monitor room and the suit security guy from earlier is like, hey, this is restricted area. And it's like, if you were on the job for 19 years, wouldn't you realize these are cops? Yeah. Like, you're an idiot. He thinks that they were pressed. So we could tell that he was a terrible officer for two decades. (laughs) There's a reason he's working security at a hotel. Munch and Finn need all the tapes. So the guy's like, um, you know, we just open. And Munch is like, that's so funny. Yeah, you know, there is a grand opening banner that gave it away. And they have uh, full coverage for all the rooms from the fifth floor to the penthouse, but they're just behind schedule. So the third floor where Siobhan was staying, actually no cameras were operational there this week. Then Thorpe runs in pissed, like, fuck, you're not telling me there's another emergency, are you? And then uh, he just goes, what is this? What do you want? He says to the detectives. And the cops are like, "Um, you know, one of your team guests have been brutally raped. And he's like, yeah, yeah, security will help you. The guests are waiting for me. Just be chill about it. And they're like, are you not worried that there's a rapist loose in your new hotel? Like, I just... His attitude is confusing to me. And Munch is like, um, can we talk to the employee who discovered the victim? And it's desk clerk, Terry Wild. So they go on a walk to meet him at the employee cafeteria. So during the walk and talk through the back way hallways of the hotel, the security guy, like the guy, they're asking, they're like, you know, why did you wait to get her medical care? It's really not cool. And security explains that they tried, but um, she refused to go to the hospital. And Munch is like, you know, victims deny care. That shouldn't have stopped you. And he's like, listen, we will bend over backwards for you guys and do anything you need. Just leave me alone. They go talk to Terry, who is in a vest. And he's <laughs> being a little cagey about giving info. And he's like, I didn't really witness any anything. And I, I I don't really know. And then Ice explains 
with a little lesson that the first person a rape victim talks to is called an outcry witness, and that's you. And he denies speaking that she just said I was raped and that's it. And Munch is like, yeah, but you're going to have to testify in court. And he's like, testify in court? I don't want to go to court. And Munch is not into this guy and is also questioning why he wasn't at his post at his desk since it was such a busy day. He says he went to the party to find Julia Roberts or somebody like that. <laughs> or, yeah. <laughs> Julia Roberts is going to be at this lame-ass, like, essentially a hotel bar mitzvah that's happening. Maybe it's a—is it a free party? Like— No, I bet it's, like, in children and families of investors, of high-profile, like, people around New York. Like, just having, like—it's like a premiere party or something where you invite, like— people to, like, start drumming up interest. Like, pre-Instagram, you know, when shit was just word of mouth, you would just, like, invite people and be like, tell everybody else, you know, I guess. Yeah. Page six. Yeah. We're now at the hospital. And it's Cabrini Medical Center, which I don't think is visited very often on this show. No, it's not. But when my parents moved out of the apartment I used to live in on 80th Street, because you know that my parents, like, I, the apartment I lived in on 80th Street for 11 years in New York, I was technically, like, conceived there. Like, my parents got pregnant with me and decided to move because they couldn't, like, live with a kid in a one-bedroom. So they moved up to Cabrini Boulevard, which is up in, like, Washington Heights and is really, like, a very pretty area of the city. It's, like, the 170s and the west side. Whoa. I just find it wild. I've, we've never really gone there. It's always Bellevue, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it, I mean, I would say when I think of Cabrini, I think of way, way uptown. So maybe they're just taking like New York names, you know? Yeah. And the doctors filling Benson and Stabler in on the injuries, you know, fractures, bruises, restraint marks, contusions, knee marks. Oh my God. Evidence of penetration. There's a lot of fluids. This is a lot. So we're most likely to get some semen action, some semen DNA. And they walk away and head uh, to her room and Siobhan is sleeping, but her brother um, is in there. So Benson sits with her and the men head out for coffee and cigarettes. But then there's no coffee seat. There's no talk. They just leave and we never, (laughs) they do come back, but it is strange where they're like, let's go talk. And then we do not see them. We cut to the crime scene and there's a bunch of science cops working very hard. Finn is there taking photos. Munch is pointing at blood. And then, very funny, Finn gives the camera to one of the science cops and poses with Munch, and he smiles, and Munch looks confused. And then they take a picture together. And (laughs) it makes me want to cry with joy. Warms my heart. It's just, like, really cute. It is, like, funny little stuff that they used to do that they, like, would never do now. No, it was fun. And I never noticed this scene before, to be honest. Like, I didn't notice this cute little bosom buddy energy. Yeah, he goes, hey, get one of us. And like, they, they like do a picture together. It's so cute. It is very cute. Um, but Munch, you know, he's just out there pointing at the blood. He can't stop pointing. And then they also find duct tape. So more evidence, hopefully. A science cop says that they hit the jackpot because usually <laughs> hotels are covered in so much DNA. But since it's brand new, it's awesome for evidence. This is your first time referring to CSU as science cops, and I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. (laughs) I've never heard you do that before, but this is like episode almost 89. I've never heard science cops. I don't think I did either, and maybe the word CSU fully left my brain because I just couldn't (laughs) even. I didn't even. It wasn't even a debate or like um, an artistic choice in any way. Like I think I just forgot what CSU is. I always just remember CSU from CSU Captain Judith Cyper. Yeah, we got to get her. We got to get her. We will, we will. 
Okay, so now we've cut back to the brother and Stabler and they're outside, you know, for a cigarette. And now it makes sense. And he says he was doing the hokey pokey while his sister was being attacked and he feels bad. And it's like, yeah, the hokey pokey, dude? What is this? (laughs) He said he didn't notice anyone that stood out or that was weird at the hotel. And Stabler keeps pushing him like, yes, but now looking back, are there any interactions that seem kind of strange? And he says, actually, there was a weirdo at the park um, and at the puppet show staring at her. And Stabler is like, what? A puppet show? Hokey pokey? Like, who are you? (laughs) Um, Are you the creep? And he finally explains that he does have a small daughter and his wife is here and it's a family vacation. Okay, carry on. Now we get it. (laughs) (laughs) He's been like alone with no children this whole fucking time. Um, He describes the man and it's not a really good description. It's white 30s, brown hair average. So not that good. So then he says, after the park, they went back to Hotel Hell, which sounds like a Goosebumps book. Totally. Munch and Finn are back at the hotel with the wife and daughter. So like sister-in-law and niece of Siobhan, the victim. Hopefully you guys get that. Um, She didn't hear anything because she was drying her hair. Her daughter was with um, her dad at the party dancing the hokey pokey. Siobhan and her were running late after the park and the pool. And the daughter is hardcore climbing on Munch. She cannot get enough (laughs) of Munch. It's very uncomfortable. Um, The sister-in-law asked to do this another time. She just wants to be with her daughter. And so we're off to another scene. We're at the precinct and the security guy from the hotel is rolling in a TV, like uh, substitute teacher vibes, um, into into the precinct. And Munch is ecstatic. Those are his words. He is ecstatic to get the film and security footage. And ben, and the, like I feel like the security guy is like our top notch, like technology. And it's just a TV and VCR. There's really <laughs> it's like what I watched the OJ Simpson verdict on in history class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Benson and Stabler got a sketch back from the artist and the DNA that was found is someone that's in the system. Hell yeah. It's a na- it's a man named Russell Ramsey. He was released 18 months ago for statutory rape. And Siobhan is 17, so this tracks as far as MO goes. Um, and the sketch and photo of the man are very, very close, identical. It is a match. We gotta go get him. And the man is played by Derek Cecil. And he has been working... Um, He's been working. Okay, he's he's on it. But he was in another SVU in 2019 where he played a religious creep who tried to marry his young stepdaughter who was 12. And that episode's called The Good Girl. And he's most well-known, I think, for House of Cards. He was in 50 episodes. Yeah, and he was most recently in The Outsider on HBO, like early pandemic. I was watching that. And... Little little personal connection. I think I mentioned this to you. But after I blew out my knee on the dance floor at our friend's wedding, I did have to go to physical therapy. And Derek Cecil and I were next to each other at physical therapy almost every week. And it was when The Outsider was on. And I was always just like, I want to say something to him. I want to say something to him. But I never did. What was his we injury were- about? Uh, he had some kind of knee, th- like, you know, knee, leg thing or whatever. And he was always like, really talkative. Like I could hear every word of his conversation to his therapist and stuff. And then I was like, he seems friendly. Maybe I could just be like, hey, the outsider, huh? But I didn't, I never said anything. (laughs) But we would, I would just be doing like embarrassing, like knee rehab exercises next to this man that I knew from House of Cards and HBO. Uh, But that's my personal connection to Derek. But he's a baby in this episode. So young. So young. And Cecil just reminds me of the lion. What happened to the lion? Did he eat a kid? Did someone shoot Cecil the lion? What happened? I thought somebody shot him. 
Now it makes me think of the Cecil Hotel. Did you watch that one oh, when it was on? No, I heard just such bad things that, that her parents weren't really into it. Oh, got it. So. Um, July of 2015, Cecil was killed. What did he do? Nothing. Oh, these were like hunters. This is like for game. Like yeah. these are like rich he people. He was lured being out of a protected area, wounded by an arrow, and then tracked and killed with a compound bow. He was 13. And the person that, that killed him had <laughs> the person that killed him had a had a had a permit. This is probably like one of Trump's fucking sons. Yeah. Anyway, let's get him. That's where <laughs> we can not not Cecil the Lion, but this guy Cecil. What's his name? Ramsey. So Benson and Stabler go to brag to Munch about everything they've uncovered, and he's in TV tape heaven, and he is happy that Winston, the security guard, came through. And when they show the photo to Munch, he goes, "Hey." That's Happy Feet. And he points to the video um, that he's watching and it's Ramsey dancing and punching around and spinning. And uh, Thorpe is just starting the speech. So now we have like the timing. So that means the rape had just happened. And he came down to dance and then went to the buffet and starts eating. And it's like, that's pretty strange post-rape behavior. Like, why wouldn't you be getting out of Dodge? Is there a concern? Like, what? Like, why wouldn't you be running away? You're just eating sandwiches. So Ice interrupts to tell Benson that Cragen's looking for her. She skedaddles to his office and he has some bad news for, for Olivia. And he's like, sit down, sit down. And she's like, I'm not sitting. I'm Olivia Benson. Sitting so. is for pussies. Yeah, she refuses to sit. And finally, he tells her some sad news that her mother had an accident and she didn't make it. Marishka's acting is insane. It's a wet eyes moment. And basically her mother, Selena, fell um, at the 110th and Broadway like subway stop. And she fell down the stairs. And Benson's confused because her mom doesn't take the subway. But the entrance of the subway is right next to the Velvet Room, which... So she was drunk. Uh, the Velvet Room, we can assume, is a bar. Um, and I have been drunk and fallen down the subway stairs before, and I'm surprised I was not more injured. Like, I have really fallen badly down the subway stairs. That sucks. Yeah, like, I remember one time people had to help me up and I was like, I need to get my life together. I'm drinking too much. Like, yeah. But I really feel sad about, I feel bad about Selena. That's like the most horrible way to go, like alone on the subway steps. And it's she sad. has such a complicated relationship with Olivia. So it's like a weird moment. Yeah, and then Olivia has one, you know, your favorite, one tear roll down the oh, cheek. The solitary tear. I do solitary. love it. Um, I think there should have been a longer blackout moment, like a moment of remembrance for this woman, but we don't have time and we keep it moving because there's a rape to solve. And so <laughs> Munch and Stabler exit a car and they're walking on a mission and they gossip a little bit about Olivia. And Munch says that his brother's a mortician. So if she has any questions and Stabler's like, wait, you have a brother? So... <laughs> <laughs> That is funny because we like hear so much about all Munch's ex-wives and like even a couple stories about his childhood. But like, I don't remember hearing about a brother in another episode. No, it's just like a little, th it's just like truly just for us to be able to write trivia questions. It's like that who kind of we, a moment. Who are we casting as Munch's brother if he were ever to make an appearance? Uh, even though I know Munch isn't even on the show the anymore. The first thing that came to my head, I don't even know if he's a soul, whatever is Gene Hackman. Uh, but I don't know why. That's just what popped into my head. Wow. Gene Hackman is retired, but maybe he comes out of retirement to play Munch's brother. I immediately went to Richard Lewis. Like, I immediately went to another comedian who would, they would have, like, neurotic, like, brother spat vibes, but maybe not. Yeah, maybe someone more Jewy. <laughs> who knows? But... 
Munch then is very funny. And he says, we found Twinkle Toes, meaning the rapist. <laughs> but um, it sucks. This guy's an exterminator and he's dancing to music in his headphones as he kills bugs. And they grab um, and handcuff him. And he's like, what's the problem? And Stabler says that nobody exterminated you yet aggressive Miranda rights are being read. He's confused. He doesn't know what he did and they won't tell him. And now we're in the investigation room. By that, I mean the interrogation room. (laughs) He he is saying he didn't rape anybody. And the first charge was statutory and that they were in love and the detectives are not buying any of this. And they tell him that all that, they have so much evidence on him. And he's like, I didn't rape, I didn't rape. And Stabler's like, Wednesday, noon, hotel. And Ramsey's like, oh yeah, that girl, for sure. Thor Palace. And he says (laughs) her name and everything. And so like, for me, it's like, why would he admit to all of that if he was raping? And he does claim it's consensual. So then Stabler goes, you know, you left her bloody and broken and now you're using her as an alibi. And he again is like, what are you talking about? Ugh, that bitch. She said I raped her. He's like, it was a date. I met her at a bar and she gave me her room key. So we see Cabot and she's watching through the spy window and she's like, oh, please, let him take the stand. I'm going to get him. And she's salivating over questioning his ass. And Cragen's like, you can make a case. And Cabot picks up a picture of Siobhan's body and says, if I can get her on the stand before the wounds heal, okay, prosecution rests. And Cragen smiles and he likes her gumption. But he wants to get um, in his, like, prior, but they can't because it doesn't prove a pattern in any way. You know, the first case was someone he knew and there was no violence. But Cragen thinks because they're both teens that he preys on teens. Um, Cabot says, don't worry, I'll bury him. Like, do not worry. And Siobhan is now here for the lineup. Uh, Will she slay or will she flop? There's a woman defense attorney in the background looking at Shimon. Benson walks in and Stabler approaches her. She says, sorry, I'm late. And he says, I thought you were taking time off. And she says, I took it. Um, And she's in a tank, which we don't really see. We never see her guns out like that. But her arms are out. She's in a tank top. Yeah. Is it a... Is it a low tank or is it like, sometimes I feel like we see her in one of those turtleneck tanks or turtleneck, sleeveless turtlenecks. I don't know if it was a turtleneck. I just was <laughs> focusing on the arms, to the be arms, honest. Yeah. I was just excited to see some arms. She has action. good arms. She has good arms. Yeah. Um, Stabler says, bring them in. And they come in and she breathes deep and she starts to get panicked and they try to comfort her. And the defense attorney's like, get the fuck away from her. So they back off. Um, she IDs the man immediately. She says number four and she starts to cry. And now we're in the office and a curly-haired woman walks in. Thick accent. Thick, thick accent. I think they're trying to make her seem like trash. And she needs to talk to a detective. Munch is the detective she gets to talk to. And it's Shelly Levack. And she And says, I think Shelly, I think the person who plays Shelly listens to the podcast. No. Yes, because we got a DM when we very first started that was like, I'm in this episode taken and I'm the thumbnail. And I'm almost positive it was this girl who wrote us. I'm like 99%. She is the thumbnail, which is thrilling. If you're listening, we love you. We do love you. do a great job in this episode. Absolutely. And I'm sorry I called your accent trash, but that's the point, (laughs) right? You're poor. You're poor. You're poor and from Jersey. So she says Russell Ramsey is not a rapist and was her boyfriend and that her parents filed charges so they would be apart. And Munch is like, he's a predator. She says he was only 22 and I'm 15. BT dubs, do you know that honey boo boo Alana is dating a 22 or 24 year old and she's 16 and her family is okay with it and everyone's upset? That's not surprising to me at all. 
she's also getting gastric bypass. I don't know why I know oh, so much about her, but she's God. showing up in my explore page. Oh my God. I don't know. I mean, whatever. But they all cut the mom out. I think the mom let like a pedophile live with that. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I mean, if the like, yeah, like it's not surprising to me that she, I mean, I'm sure he was like grooming her in a way. Like, I, I don't know. It's weird. And it's not surprising to me that she's dating someone older. Yeah. Yeah. She like, says she the gastric, care it's like, I mean, she's just doing what her mom did, I think. Right. So. But they don't talk to them. Who cares? But the fact that she's in our lives is wild. Yeah. Um. She's and but I gotta give it up to Honey Boo Boo and family for really extending their fifteen minutes. To think we'd still be talking about Honey Boo Boo. Oh, that's impressive. Tan Mom could never. Tan Mom. Tan, could never. tan Mom is like, how did you do it, Honey Boo Boo? <laughs> like all these people we had in the aughts that were like, you know, on the soup and are gone. But Honey Boo Boo, forever. Yes. She did it. What? Oh, go-go juice? Okay. So anyways, <laughs> she says he's a nice guy and didn't do anything to the skank. And she then says that she loves him. And Munch asks if Ramsey asked her to come down. And he did. But she says that she would have done it no matter what. And then Munch is like, well, he told me he had sex with the victim. So what now? And she looks so sad. He cheated on me. And then quickly she rationalizes it and says, well, it's only because I cheated on him. And they actually broke up a few days before because of it. And Munch says, well, that could have been a trigger. Like for a rapist, a traumatic event um, can like spark something to want to regain control. So he uh, overpowers another woman. She says, no, he told me he didn't. The camera pauses on her sad, sad face for an extra moment before we see Munch walking into Cragen's office and says, there should be a special level of hell for puss-sucking, gangrenous... Puss-sucking, puss-sucking. There should be a special <laughs> level of hell for puss-sucking, gangrenous malignancy of a mental amoeba. That is such a classic... That's not, Wait, is nothing it, is classic about this. This is a No, mess. but is it Munch that says it? Of course it's Munch. Yeah, yeah. It's so classic to me, Munch, like stringing a bunch of like crazy words together. That's what I mean. Like yeah. that's, I we hear Munch do that kind of shit. I know, but this does not roll off the tongue at all in any capacity. This is like yeah. the most annoying. I had to put on closed captioning for that. A pus sucking gangrenous malignancy of a mental amoeba. Like Ugh. it means nothing. Just say dickhead. <laughs> um, so then Cragen with Comedy Gold says, oh, did someone steal your parking space again? <laughs> <laughs> he explains to Craig in the situation, but calls his first victim, a.k.a. his girlfriend, sweet little thing. And it's like, maybe we should arrest you now. How about that? That's disgusting. <laughs> then he goes into an incel speech about how he and Cragen are alone every night watching the History Channel and can't get no good woman, but scum like Ramsey of all these nice girls devotion. And it's like, what? Yeah, very, very incel speech. Yeah. Then Cragen with a bad perspective is like, I don't think Ramsey will be doing much sitting down at Rikers. LOL, prison rape. Yeah. Cragen also says that the security from Thorpe's hotel was hoping for the security equipment back. Like, are you done with it? And Munch sighs. So he goes back to like work on the tapes to find more clues. So now we watch him watching the monitor and it's of Terry, the door clerk at the elevators. He notices that he was by the hotel, like by like waiting for Siobhan by the elevators. 
And he wasn't looking at celebs. He said he was trying to find Julia Roberts, but it seems like he's just waiting and looking at the elevator. And Finn is like a stand-in for the audience being like, wait, what, Munch? Tell us more. And he also looked, uh, so also the Terry guy also looked straight at Ramsey when Ramsey walked out. And um, they all looked at each other. So we got to go talk to him again, to Terry. So Finn and Munch go back to the hotel, but another employee of the hotel says that he has been fired. And it's because he just didn't show up to work. It was a no call, no show. So since the day of the attack, he has not come back to work. And that's obviously shady as fuck. And Finn doesn't like that and is like, oh, so our only witness isn't at work. And okay, we gotta, and like, that's the only person that can testify. This is too convenient. We gotta find him. Then Munch wants to give like a lesson uh, about the difference of inferring and implying and he does a little riddle troll speech and it's very, very fucking annoying. Um, but we do get the address for Terry and they let the detectives keep the whole file actually. Um, and Finn and Munch, they walk and talk on the streets of New York and Finn says that the ad- like says the address out loud and Munch without even a second of thought is like, oh, that's actually the Winter Garden Theater, not a real address. I know. I, I was like, okay, someone goes to cats all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but why the bogus address? So they head over to former employment, which is another hotel, and they ask for Terry Wilde. And there's a man and a woman uh, employee behind the desk, and they look at each other, and they're like, okay, like, what's up? What's going on? And the man says that Terry never left and still works here, and that it's that woman. So the man points to the woman, and it's actually a woman named Terry Wilde. And she goes what did I do? Um, so this guy used a fake name. So we're back at the precinct brainstorming with all hands on deck. So Cragen calls Benson and Stabler away. Um, and in the office is Mr. Tupper, who is an actuary for Mr. Thorpe's insurance carrier and is asking how solid the Miller case against Ramsey is because the hotel is thinking of some restitution money. And the detective's hate him and they hate actuaries and I didn't realize that actuaries were like a contentious bunch I guess it's because they like put a price on things like they put a price on like lives or they put a price on how much like an accident is worth or you know what I mean like they're just like would they, they rather just people dollar sign get money but I, I, yeah I know but I think that's just their thing it's like you know maybe that's why they hate actuaries I don't know I'm guessing it's just so stupid it's just weird yeah. um like oh, f- oh fuck that rape victim's gonna get money we're pissed <laughs> like it makes no sense he's like how much is a cop worth and they're like well it depends how old he was and how he died like I don't know it just doesn't <laughs> seem like they're the villains SVU is trying to make actuaries out to be like let us know if we're wrong and they're evil <laughs> It just seems like math nerds. Yeah. It just seems like fucking dorks. Like, I don't know. Um, Rikers Island, uh, we had there. Monday, September 11th, the title card Dun, dun. Yeah. Cabot is there visiting Ramsey with his lawyer. He's not looking good, beat up and sweaty. She slides a photo of fake Terry and asks, what's his name? And Ramsey's like, I don't know. And Cabot's like, you're partners and you're lying. And Ramsey's like, I I don't know. She gave me her key. What the fuck? And Cabot's like, okay, liar. And so she says that he's facing 25 years and Ramsey is so desperate. Like, why won't you listen to me? He says, this is so wrong. And we cut away from him quickly. We don't care about Ramsey or his well-being in jail. So we now we cut to the Delancey Arms Hotel and we have Finn and Munch there and they're talking to the clerk and they're trying to like get information out of him. But they offer him cash, which I've never seen before. So that was kind of wild. 
I think I I have a memory of like them pressing some money, but like at a club or something, not at like a hotel. But yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I do remember like some of yeah. like a stripper. They'll like take some yeah, cash yeah, out yeah. and stuff. <laughs> um, so anyway, so the clerk helps them. They go get Terry. He's in this hotel room. And on the way out, Munch puts cash into the hotel worker's pocket. And then the hotel guy's like, I have more tips if you want, but they're busy. They're out of there. So now we're in Cragen's office and he's like, I don't get why Ramsey won't give his partner up. And Stabler's like, who cares? We got the guy. It's Michael Bergman. So we got him. Uh, Munch and Finn picked him up. So now we're in interrogation and Finn and Munch are going in there with him. And he says that he stole the resume off the internet because he just needed a job and the resume looked fire. But then it's like, okay, then why did you quit after the incident? And he's like, uh, what, is it a crime to quit? And it's like, no, but it is suspicious, sir. His defense attorney is blonde, gelled uh, villain hair vibes. And he's like, listen, nothing connects him to the crime. So leave us alone. He is denying knowing Ramsey or being part of this. Um, Knock, knock. Stabler is there to interrupt and ask the detectives to join him. So Stabler says that this guy's real name is Kyle Cavallin. Cavallahan, whatever. Mm. So his name's Kyle, and he's a roofer and a petty con man and not connected to Ramsey, but to Bo, who's the brother of Siobhan. Um, They went to the same high school and juvie in North (laughs) Carolina. And Finn is like, hold up. Her own brother set her up to be raped? In walks Cragen to say that the brother is threatening a $10 million lawsuit. Stabler cracks a knowing smile. We cut to the Thorpe Hotel and the sister-in-law is in a cute summer outfit, a halter top and like cute plaid colors and baby denim shorts. And she's pouring iced tea out of a pitcher at a table with Munch and Stabler and the view is insane. This is like a giant balcony, such a nice room. You see a lot of New York. It doesn't look like a hotel balcony at all. It looks like stones and beautiful. So Bo and Siobhan and the little girl are out shopping to keep her busy or she'd go crazy. And Stabler asks if the siblings are close. Um, You know, he seems like such a great brother. And that's a no. They just got back in touch recently. He left home when she was super little. So he was 16 and he was determined to make it up to her for leaving. So it's kind of a little family reunion. Munch notices she has a silly like elbow band-aids and mentions it. And she says, oh, My daughter, Tara, gave me some first aid, you know, just a jungle gym accident. And Stabler then is like, your husband called this place Hotel Hell. Why haven't you moved out and gone to another hotel? And she goes, I mean, we're in a different room, but still strange. So now Munch with his badge on his hip uh, with Finn and Stabler and science cops being like, uh, why am I back here? Is this actually the room? What's happening? He's confused why they're there. And they're trying to see if Ramsey was ever in that room. So that's what we're looking for now. And Munch says that we've been assuming Ramsey got a room key from the desk clerk, but maybe he didn't even need a key and Sabler notices that there are adjoining rooms. So they're opening and closing a lot of doors, trying to figure something out when Stabler notices there's a blood stain in the adjoining room door frame. So if Bo was in the party, then Mrs. Miller was in the room. So it's a family affair of sorts. So there's a mystery afoot. So now Munch is lighting um, Ramsey's cigarette in jail and he's really fucked up. I mean, so bloody and the wounds seem really infected. His wounds on his face look like the wounds in um, The Human Centipede. The oh, mi- no. Yeah. The, the, the last centipede girl, like the final one, she had wounds on her face that got infected and that it, it looks like that. Sorry to bring it up. But that's what her wounds reminded me of. That's how I knew that they... I just never watched that movie and it seemed so horrific and I didn't realize they would also have facial wounds on top of what's happening to them in the movie. Well, yeah, they're being sewn together. Yeah. There's got to be a wound. 
Yeah, I guess I thought you were talking about like scratches and other kind of beatings or something, but yeah. There was. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you know how that movie ends, right? No. The first and third ones die and the one in the center is alive and has to just, that's how it pans out uh. at the end. Because <laughs> they do end up killing the bad guy, but then it's just like her in the center alive with two dead pe- things on either side of her. You know I couldn't even get through the trailer of that movie. I can't I even s- watch the trailer. I saw it midnight. I saw it opening night. <laughs> I can't. At the I music can't, box in Chicago. I can't. Oh, no. <laughs> I, it was fun. I don't know. I loved it, but... Uh, no, people love it. I think it's like <laughs> camp. I think it's funny, horror, whatever. It is camp because there's one part in the movie where like one of them's trying to run away and she opens the door and then runs into a pool. And it's like, who has a pool just in their house? You know, so there are really funny things. They're like the, yeah. the the one guy, he has a Playboy tattoo on his arm. So there's little cute things, I guess. <laughs> Ugh, it is scary. He is scary, the actor. Okay, um, now I'm, I still, if I see a Rottweiler, only think human centipede. And we're back. I don't, I wonder what's going to be more upsetting, this wound conversation or the shit conversation that I upset everyone about. <laughs> I wonder what will be more upsetting for people. We'll put a poll. <laughs> <laughs> Munch asks how he knows Bo, and he says he doesn't know who that is. I mean, you guys, like, fucking listen to him. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> um, are you guys detectives or not? He says he doesn't know the sister-in-law either or Kyle, and Ramsey breaks down and is like, Please, I'll just say anything. Just tell me what you want to hear and I will say it. And he brings up Shelly and Ramsey says he loves her and never lied to her. And Munch is like, you cheated on her. So, and he goes, fine, I cheated. Siobhan approached me and propositioned me and now I get beat up every day for it. And he's like, you gotta help me. And Munch is like, haven't you been in jail before? You should know how to protect yourself. And he says, it's so much worse this time. Beating and rape of a minor, they hate me in prison. He can't sleep. He has to stay awake all night. And Munch says something rude to him. And Ramsey is pleading, like, I didn't rape her. I didn't rape her. And Munch is like, stay out of fights. It's enraging. Now we're yeah, in the... because pre- it's like, we've just seen this guy and he's kind of like a dumb dumb. And he, I think he's too dumb to be like masterminding. Like, a, or he'd have a better defense than just, I don't know any of these people, you know? Yeah, and it's like the biggest mistake the detectives make where they have like a thing in their head and they refuse to like you know, investigate with an open mind. They're just trying to find clues to fit their, like, idea. And it's annoying. Yeah. And now we're in the precinct hallway and I feel a walk and talk coming. Um, Cabot and Munch. And Munch is saying, don't you see the bad guys keep growing? Like, we got to get this right. And Cabot's like, well, it doesn't get more right than Ramsey. And Munch is like, wait, did I tell you about Shelly visiting me? And Cabot's like, whoa. But also we know people defend their abusers all the time. We've all seen it constantly. And she says, do me a favor and concentrate on Bo and Kyle. So now we get a little Benson action, her head popping into Cragen's office, thanking him for the flowers and he's pissed he's like what the fuck are you doing here and she says i'm just working and he's like take the day off and she closes the door behind her she says it took her years to accept that her mom was an alcoholic and accept that all the consequences that go with that and she just needs to work craigan fills her in on the case and is understanding and basically they all think that the brother and sister-in-law set siobhan up on the rape 
So Benson is like, great, I'll go talk to her. And Cragen's like, no, we can't let her know yet. And Benson takes this personally and is like, bitch, you think I'm going to blow the case? And he's like, no, you're just, you're not in the condition to do this. And she bends down and says, I'm fine. Let me do my job. So Cragen, you know, he's in suspenders and he goes, fine, fine, whatever. So Benson heads off to talk to Siobhan in a giant, giant suite. And it's like an old-timey hotel suite. None of this modern stuff. Very, very old-timey furniture. And I guess this was also over 20 years ago. This could have been modern. Who knows? Um, Siobhan is in a white terry cloth robe. And she just wants to go home. And Benson's like, I agree. But Siobhan explains that her brother wants to get everything settled first. And she says that, like, she can't believe her brother's suing the hotel. And then we get a little backstory. So Siobhan was four when her brother left. And when their parents died, he decided he wanted to make it up to her. So the phone rings and she says she'll be right back. And she goes into the other room of the suite to answer the phone. And Benson starts snooping around casually. She's also wearing a black funeral style dress. I don't know if you noticed. So I wonder if she came back from a funeral or if she was dressed up for the hotel or she has a date night. But it's like a calf length, long sleeve black dress. I wonder if there was like a scene that was cut or something where she goes to her mom's funeral. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's just like an, uh, it's obviously a departure from what she normally wears. Yeah. Yeah. She's not usually showing up. Uh, That's, I I didn't even notice that. Good eye. You always notice the wardrobe. Thank you. I really try. Um, (laughs) She notices a bunch of catalogs on the table for Cartier with post-its on it. There's cars and boats. And then we overhear Siobhan on the phone say, no, I don't think that's enough. And then we hear her going, I am getting my $2 because I sure as hell did my part. Um, It's wild that she's screaming that shit with a detective in the next room. (laughs) It's kind of wild. It is wild. And so now we're at the Blackboard Brainstorm time and we're moving Siobhan from victim to perp. And the brother is a petty con artist, they found out. And the wife, Patricia, is the bloody print in the adjoining doorway room. And why was she there? You know, was she trashing the place? And the clerk, Michael, a.k.a. Terry, a.k.a. Kyle, is brother Bo and Siobhan's cousin. So they're a family of grifters. Not just juvie buddies, cousins. Cousins. I miss that cousins. And Thorpe is the mark in all of this. So Finn is like, okay, well, there's a four-year-old with them, you know, Tara, so we should call child services. And I love Finn being really caring. Stabler adds, Thorpe would rather pay than drag three suspects from his family-friendly lobby, like, through there. And Craig and teases, it won't be in the hotel. Don't worry. So Munch is like, excuse me, what about Ramsey? We got to figure this out. And they're like, who gives a shit? So we go to the insurance company now, and the Miller family is there to collect the check. The secretary takes the four-year-old to a daycare facility while the adults go into the office to fill out some paperwork for their settlement with the hotel. And then Craig is undercover as the insurance worker, and he's doing a really good job. And they all have to sign a detailed account of what happened. And Siobhan is like, and we just get the check today? He says, unless you want to drop the claim. (laughs) Jokes. And he hands over the check to Bo. And Cragen on the intercom says, we're done here. And boom, the doors fly open. Benson and Stabler march in. Everyone's getting arrested, arrested, arrested. Bo is like, what's going on here? And the other doors are flying. Munch and Finn are coming in. Cragen says, you're under arrest for conspiracy, grand larceny, and extortion. 
action. So they arrest Bo, and then he starts yelling, like, don't say anything, don't say anything until the lawyers come. And Siobhan is crying, and she's like, I don't understand. What did they do? And Benson, while handcuffing her, says, tell me more about your dead parents. Uh, Stabler's like, they're in jail, right? Investment scams. And she says she was ashamed, and that's why, you know, I said that they were dead. And Benson's like, are you ashamed of your age, too? Because we know you're not 17, you're 23. And we know you're in on it. And she keeps crying and saying, he made me, he made me. You don't know what they put me through. And Benson's like, you're good, but I've been taken by better. And then boom, a shift immediately. She goes, I want a deal. So (laughs) do you want to do a line read of that one too? It's a fun one. (laughs) It is fun. No, no, no. Are you sure? Yeah, I think maybe later. There might be something later I want to do. Yeah, because you do a good accent. You do fun accents. (laughs) If you come to our live shows, you will know. Kara does great impressions. <laughs> Bam, we're at we're at the table with Benson Cabot and Siobhan and her attorney, and she's casual and relaxed at Relaska Talks, and she has joined Relaska Talks <laughs> in jail. And <laughs> she met up with two other friends, and they kind of form an alliance with other people in jail. <laughs> she's full Relaska Talks. <laughs> she's relaxed. <laughs> um, I recently saw someone tweeted something really shady at Roxy Andrews was like, look at you. Look, Jinx is thriving. You couldn't get to her, you dumb bitch. Like something like that, like putting her down and putting Velasco Talks down. And it was Roxy. It's like, yeah, it's 10 years later. We've all been working and we love Jinx. Like, what do you, shut up. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Well, no, uh, during the pit stop, someone, uh, Trixie one time was saying how, or maybe this, whatever content I watch, I don't even know where this is anymore. It could be any of it. But um, I guess Manila, after she lost, was like at the airport and someone came up to her and goes, what are you going to do now? And Manila's like, I'm doing it. I don't, I don't know what to making tell. a ton of money. <laughs> um, wait, I have to tell you, I DM'd Trixie on Twitter and was like, hey, I'm going to be in Montreal at the same time as your free outdoor show. I'm going to try to make it. And she goes, I'm performing outdoors, question mark. But I didn't see it for like 24 hours. So then I went back and looked at it and was like, oh, am I wrong? I was like, I think I read that it was outdoors, but maybe I'm wrong. Either way, like, hope to see you, blah, blah, blah. Then I like looked and she wrote, yikes, bitch. And I wrote on the, and then I sent her a screenshot and was like, bitch, it's outside. It's like a your free show's outside. outdoor show. Outdoor show. And it was like, she didn't know it was outside. Cause I think that they, I think that they don't like that because they get so hot. Like and she yeah. likes, they talk about it all the time. They like to be indoors, like fucking, you know, air blasting on them. So. I can't believe <laughs> you broke the news to her. I know. This is an exclusive. I can't. I sent her a screenshot it. and was like, I go, yikes, bitch, indeed. And I sent her a screenshot. Do you think her agents are like screaming at the festival employees right now? Like, how dare you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, no, outdoor. Yeah, baby, you're outdoors. Our podcast and I'm going. gets canceled. They're like, get out of here. You ruined <laughs> Trixie's performance. Um, so, da, 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 da. so she's relaxed. That's, we went on a drag race fever dream and we're back. Um, and you know, she's at the table. She has no care in the world and she's spilling the beans. And Siobhan explains that, uh, cousin Kyle's job was to get inside and then bump their reservation to get them in. Uh, Ramsey, she giggles and says, he's not involved at all. They found him on a sexual registry and the sex was consensual and that they set him up. I'm just taking a moment because I'm yeah. pissed. 
Patty yeah. Ann, uh, the sister, is the one who beat the shit out of her after Ramsey left. And she says it hurt like hell, but she did a great job. Then she went down... And Kyle was there to stop her right before she hit the press. And Cabot doesn't get that. Why before the press? You could have gotten a huge civil suit. And Siobhan says, nah, civil suits take years. They know Thorpe would pay to keep it quiet. And everyone knows gag money moves fast. Cabot says if she allocutes and testifies against everyone else that she's only looking at probation and she seems so satisfied. And Benson asks her, what was going through your mind when you were taking that beating? And she says how I was going to spend all that money. And she smiles. And now it's a cross hallway walk and talk. Like everyone is walking and talking in every direction. (laughs) Uh, It's like a choreographed dance of walk talks. (laughs) So Munch and Finn are talking and walking one way. Stabler is walking in another way. And they ask him if she took the deal. And he says yes. And then Munch with a bomb says, well, did she tell you that she was the ringleader? And Finn adds that everyone got separate interviews and that Siobhan set this whole thing up. And it was an OG scam with her parents. But once they got caught and got sent to jail, she pivoted and got them all involved. Uh, OMG. So Stabler says it gets worse. Ramsey was set up. Like, this isn't real. And we're like, we got to get him out of here. We got to get him out. And Munch is like, it might only be, like, we might have to wait 24 hours. And Munch is like, we got to rush on it. We got to get him out of there. And now we're in court for allocution. And Siobhan is up there explaining everything. And the judge asks if the people are satisfied. But Cabot is actually busy gossiping with Benson and Stabler, who have some secrets to spill. And so Cabot says, "Um, can we actually have her explain how Ramsey was involved? And after she checks with her lawyer to make sure that it's covered under under her agreement, she starts explaining that they found him on a sexual, you know, offender list and that he wasn't gross compared to the others and he didn't seem violent and he liked them young. Cabot asks, how did you seduce him? And she says that she showed up at the bar, gave the key to her room and that was that. And um, so then they would just like, you know, the whole plan is that he needs to show up. So Cabot's a little confused and goes, how did you know he would come? And she says, I mean, he's an ex-con with a loser job who likes young girls. I mean, it's a no-brainer. And Cabot says, well, something could have gone wrong. And she says, well, I would have planned beat it. And Cabot asks, Cabot asks, Cabinet. Cabinet asks what it is. And she (laughs) says, honey, no man passes up free sex. And that's that. Everyone's satisfied. The judge says he's pissed for the court, that she's getting probation. But that's how it goes. Gavel, gavel, all smiles. Everyone's happy. And then Benson comes from behind her and starts arresting her. And she's like, what the fuck? And she says, I've enjoyed watching you hang yourself. And she's like, huh? And they explain that Ramsey has been beaten and raped in prison and is now dead. Your false allegation put him there. So under the law, you are responsible for his death. Manslaughter, honey. And they take her away. That's going to be my drag name, Manslaughter, honey. Manslaughter, honey. (laughs) And they take her ass away. At the precinct, Cragen tells Munch, we got her. And Munch says, yeah, but at what price? And he is really upset at Ramsey's death, as he should be. It's all of their faults. Um, And it's not the end of the episode, though. I'm very confused. So now we're headed to Unified Shipping, Rego Park, NYC, September 15th. And it's our curly-haired girl, Shelly. She's in an all-brown uniform, and she bumps into Munch. And she's like, I told you everything. What's happening? And Munch goes, you were right. Ramsey didn't rape that woman. He was cleared. And she looks so happy and relieved and breathes. And then is like, thank God. But Munch knows he has bad news to tell her. And he's like, why don't you take a break? We got to go get coffee. And Munch and Shelly walk off into, you know, his police car and Dick Wolf baby. And that sucks. Oh, I hate that. Because he's just this like dumbass. I mean, he shouldn't have had sex with a 15-year-old when he was 22. But that's kind of his only mistake. And now he's dead. 
Anyway, thank you for the walkthrough of this classic episode and get ready for the true crime. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Okay, we are back with the true crime of it all. So it's Halloween night, 1992, okay? A 21-year-old named Wanda Mary Normiel called 911 to report that she had been raped in her hotel room at the Caribbean Beach Resort at Walt Disney World in Orlando by a man in a Dracula costume. I mean, okay. it just sucks because I don't want anyone to get assaulted, but I'm obsessed with this. Yeah, I mean, just to read the first line, it's like, what's happening? Um, Obviously, uh, anti-violence, pro-Dracula costumes. You know? And I'm trying to think of 1992, like what I was dressed as. You were probably five or six. Like, I would love to know what what Halloween costume you were wearing well, in 1992. I, I don't know if I was, I was at juice school then, but my first year in American school was first grade and I was so poor or, or confused. I didn't have a costume. I didn't know what Halloween was, so. Yeah. They made me a paper pumpkin that I wore with the poor kid. <laughs> so I was like a giant, like, orange paper pumpkin. And then the second year, I was a Barbie, but it was just a dress. And then people were like, you're not a Barbie. And um, then finally, third grade, I got, like, a Party City Sorcerer costume. And it's all I had ever okay. wanted. It was like, uh, I wanted a Party City costume. And I yeah. got it third grade. So, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't know Halloween in by 92 or in 92. Yeah. We had Purim. We had Purim. Yeah, sure, sure. I was Esther. Um, what were you? I always like to be Esther at Purim. I mean, 92, I was 12. I probably was... Okay, one year my mom... For, oh, yeah, I remember. I was in fifth grade, and my mom forgot to get us Halloween costumes and took me to, like, a store the day before, and there was nothing. So she bought me a Miami Dolphin sweatshirt and a hat and green pants that matched it, and I put blackout paint under my eyes, and I said I was the coach of the Miami Dolphins. Does the coach of the Miami Dolphins wear blackout paint under his eyes? Nope. <laughs> yeah, but I love it's that. the silliest thing ever. I love it. Um, 
So anyway, that's what Lisa and I were doing in 1992. We'll but post it. If you have the photo, I have a photo of me and my paper pumpkin. Maybe we can find our photo. photos. Okay, let's I have a photo them. of me as the as the um the Miami Dolphins coach. It is embarrassing. But I loved the Miami Dolphins at the time. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. I because I love dolphins. I don't care about the sport. I loved the Blue Jays. I loved the Dolphins. I loved anybody that had like an animal that I liked. Those were my sports teams. Who knew? Toronto. Anyway, um, so that's if you want the visual, check our Instagram. So she reported, very similar to the episode, that someone came into her room, robbed her, and raped her. The police report did indicate that she was tied to the bed with duct tape and then beaten with a wooden club and sexually assaulted. I saw the photos of her, and she does look very fucked up. Lots of bruising cuts. Like, there's duct tape in her hair, like a ton of duct tape in her hair. Um, like, bloody cuts, contusions, etc. The officers who interviewed her said she looked dazed and, like, couldn't make eye contact, and they definitely thought, this is a victim, hands down. She also told them, in the episode, the sister-in-law has a child. In reality, she has a child. She has a 10-month-old daughter who was in the room at the time. And then her sister, Jessie, was also traveling with her and was there, like, filling in all the details with the police. So that all goes down. A few months later, she sues Disney for $3 million, blaming her sexual assault on their bad security. She was offered a settlement for two hundred dollars but she refused and wanted to go for more than a million. Um, the police got a tip from a, quote, disgruntled relative, which led to an investigation, okay? It turns out that Wanda and her brother, Jimmy Burke, age 33, were about to pull off this huge hoax to extort money from Disney World. Wanda said it was Jimmy's idea and that he came up with it after he saw something on TV about how lax the security is at hotels. So they decided that Wanda would be the victim because she was four foot nine, 98 pounds. And I watched this Dateline interview with, with um, Wanda Mary and she goes, I was a good actress and I could pull it off. Okay, she's like, yeah. Well, she fits our theory that criminals are great actors. Yes, yes. Finally, so one of them more. admits it. Yeah. Finally. I've been doing this podcast forever. Finally, someone's We're like, like yes, give this guy the Oscar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it turned out Wanda had had consensual sex with a family friend earlier in the evening who did not know anything about this whole operation. And her brother started laying the groundwork for this whole deal by dressing up as Dracula and trying to get into her room earlier in the night. Being like, hey, I forgot my key. Can you guys let me up? And they didn't let her in, but like, that's going to make an impression, a man dressed as Dracula, like trying to get into a room where he doesn't have a key and his name's not on the reservation. So later that night, after they set the Dracula scene and she's had sex with her family friend, she lets Jimmy into her room and then they tore the place up to make it look good and robbed. And then her brother duct taped her to the bed and beat her up. And then she called the police. And I listened to the 911 call and it is really real sounding. Like she is really sobbing. Like it well, is good Well, she acting. did get beat up. So it's like, yeah. I'm sure she was in pain enough to cry. Yeah, you can like channel the pain <sighs> of the actual physical injuries. But yeah, she's sobbing and like on the call. Like it's it makes sense that they all believed her at first. So on Dateline, um, the interviewer asked her, what was going through your mind when your brother was quote unquote beating the tar out of you? And she said, just like, exactly what the girl says in the episode. She says, all the things I could buy with the money from the lawsuit. So it turns out, this is interesting, that Wanda Mary Normiel, aka Wanda Mary Burke, aka Wanda Mary Cle Cleveland, aka Leah Ann Kelly, 
She has up to 28 different aliases. She and her family were Irish travelers. And to explain the Irish travelers, they used to be featured on my big fat gypsy wedding all the time. They are sometimes erroneously referred to as gypsies. They are not related to the Romani, but both groups like sometimes get called gypsies. Um, and the Irish travelers are an ethnocultural group originating in Ireland with large populations in the UK, Canada, and the US. So looking at their history, it seems like what happened was like they were Irish people that came over, immigrated to the US in the like mid to late 1800s and formed into all these clans based on where they lived. And they traveled the country looking for work. But if you know a little bit about the history, like the Irish were extremely discriminated against. So I think a lot of these clans turned to crime because they had to like put food on the table for their families. Like they, they weren't able to get work just like, I think they say a lot of them were in like roofing and like, you know, concrete and and doing like manual labor and fixing stuff. But like, I think people wouldn't hire them because they thought they were untrustworthy and they were stereotyped as con artists and scammers. But again, if you kind of look a little bit deeper, it's like, if that's the only life they found in the US, what else were like they supposed to do? But um, part of my Big Fat Gypsy wedding that I think a lot of people had a problem with and then uh, that this Dateline special also taps into is that they have these like coming out parties for little girls like the girls that are like 12, you know? And they're, they they are in these like sparkly adult cocktail dresses, essentially. Like I can't even describe it. It's like a fa fancier than cocktail, but not like a gown, like short, sparkly ass dresses. And their hair is done up like full share in the 80s. And they're like lip, they're at a huge party with all their with all their family and community. And they're lip syncing to songs and like performing. And this is kind of presenting them as women to their community when clearly they're little girls. And this community does do a lot of arranged marriages and some of the girls get pregnant like very young. Like the girl in the Dateline, Mar Wanda Mary in the Dateline said she knew someone who got pregnant at 11. And this is from 1996. So it's possible in the last 25 years, a lot has changed within this culture. But at this time, that's what we knew about the Irish traveler culture. Well, I don't think anyone's surprised. I was an avid viewer of my big fat gypsy wedding. Oh, really? Um, I watched the spinoffs. I watched the spinoff about the dressmaker that makes all the dresses for the community. Wow. So I was very into the show and it was horrifying to watch. It was kind of a spectacle. It was like, you hate watch it because that's what they would do. These girls were meant, like, at these parties, they dress so sexy. They're dressed so scantily clad, but they're supposed to stay virgins and they can't be sluts until, like, marriage. But yet they're made to dance sexy in provocative outfits. And so it's a really twisted... It was twisted to watch. Yeah. Like, they're wearing wild things, like, writhing on the floor. But if you even kiss someone outside of marriage, you're in trouble. It was, um, it was, yeah, not my favorite. Yeah. Not my favorite culture. Seems... <laughs> Well, I mean, because it seems almost like beauty queen stuff, but like, it's not a competition. It's like, hey, these are the girls that are available for marrying in the community. And they're like, older and the girls don't have a choice. Yeah, it's, it was, it's, it's twisted for yeah. sure. So Wanda was part of like this notorious ring of Irish travelers that, that were actual scammers and criminals. Like that was their life. They were known to the police for everything from counterfeiting to like home repair scams, scams against the elderly. Hello, Jen Shaw. Um, and they, like Wanda in the, opens up about the whole Irish traveler lifestyle in this Dateline interview. And she's like, I was just so excited to become like a legend amongst the travelers for this Disney heist. She thought like, I'm going to go down in history. People are going to talk about this. And um, 
She talks about how the travelers are their own closed society. They're intentionally secretive. Like the whole message is like, protect the clan, stay quiet. Like don't talk to people about us. And it's all like the life of crime is like all she's ever known. Like her, her, I think she said her, her parents or her grandparents like sent her into a store when she was a little kid with counterfeit money and like had her buy candy. And she was like, and she got like a rush from it. And they were like, see, like we didn't really take it. They gave it to us. And like, so, you know, she was indoctrinated into that life from a young age. And she said it was a great life. And then Dateline's like, why are you talking to us? And she's like, well, now I feel like the public needs to know. But also, you're saying it's a tight-knit group, but one of your relatives ratted on you. And we're about to get to it. Okay, because she would have gotten away with it, I bet, right? Yeah, I think so. So the troubles started to bubble up when Wanda and her sister, Jessie, started arguing. The sister wanted to get her name on the check. She was like older and she was like, let me get my name on the check. I'll be your financial advisor. And Wanda's like, bitch, I know a scam when I see one. I've grown up in the same life that you have. Like, I know you're going to take this money and run. I'm not letting you put your name on the check when I like did all the work. And so that's when Jesse called the cops and spilled all the beans. And she said she knew it was wrong and I didn't want to be any part of it. So Jesse is the snitch, her own sister. So then- It's also like your sister got the shit beat out of her. Let her name be on the check. I know. She would have bought you stuff. I know, but it's like infighting and stupid greed is what got them all caught. But um, Disney ended up obviously paying nothing and had no comment about this. Like they did not want this to be in the press at all. Uh, Jesse, eventually the sister had all the charges dropped against her. The brother, Jimmy... Um, died of AIDS in March of 1994 before he could even be arrested. And then, so Wanda kind of got left holding the bag. Wanda pled guilty to grand theft uh, and falsely reporting a crime and was sentenced to 18 months in prison. When she got out, she was on um, 20 years of probation and had to pay off $24,000 in fines. But now she's, I mean, as according to this dateline, which again is from like 25 years ago, she's saying like, I'm starting a new life with my daughter. I've left the traveler lifestyle. And... Luckily, the family friend that she had sex with was never implicated in the crime at all. Like, I don't think he was ever even in the room. So that's like something the show took like a liberty with is that they like brought the assailant to the crime scene and like really implicated him on purpose. Yeah. But that's that. If you're interested in our in our um, sources, is the link to the YouTube. It is a YouTube that just ripped the Dateline. Like, it's not, le- I don't think it's legal, but it's like the full Dateline segment. And it was interesting to like hear this girl talk about it. Because she does have like a very trusting sort of like face of like a young girl. Like you, I don't know. She knew that she had this look about her and it kind of helped her in a lot of her scams. And that's that. A short Thank little you. a short little guy, but you know, we could always go shorter. <laughs> but we have we an have amazing yes, we have an amazing guest, so keep your little butts right where they are. Our next guest, so talented, multifaceted, you guys aren't going to believe it. She is an actor, a writer, a TV producer, a voiceover extraordinaire. She has both written and starred in MTV's Awkward and Sci-Fi's Resident Alien. And she was a writer and executive producer on NBC's Good Girls. She also famously portrayed the character Poppy Downs on Strangers with Candy. But you know her today as Siobhan Miller. Guys, just feast your ears on our chat with the very, very amazing Jenna Lamia. 
Jenna. So first thing we normally work out with people that come on this podcast is people we know in common. And when I saw that you are not only a writer, but an actor on the show Resident Alien, I texted my friend Alice Wetterland and said, do you know Jenna Lamia? And she goes, oh my God, she's the love of, like, she said she's the light of my life, not the love of my life. She said you're the light of her life. So I love that we have a, a friend in common. I literally just got off a of Zoom with Alice to get on this uh, Zoom with you guys. Yeah, we just— uh, Oh, wow. L- like, 10 minutes, we just—before this, we just got the season three pickup, so— Oh, amazing. <gasps> Congratulations. It, yeah, oh thanks. <laughs> and that's Vancouver, right? Are you guys— Because Alice is usually, like, gone, and then I see her when she comes back to town. That's right. That's um, why— Amazing. Mm-hmm. Vancouver's. Well, yep. Congrats. <laughs> well, just—well, we have to say— uh, I. There's so much to ask you, but this is one of my favorite episodes ever. Um, Season two lives with me forever. It's (laughs) so good. But outside of that, like, you're writing, you're on the stage, your voiceover, your books, your accents, your like, so much. Was that all just (laughs) how the biz works and you just said yes to everything? Or were you always kind of so diversified in all your skills? Yeah, the biz just works that way. Just work, just like rolls towards you and you just pick and choose. Um. <laughs> well, because when I said it to Kara, she goes, that's just how it works. You don't plan on stuff. You see what's up. But I don't know. Like, did you know you were going to do book voiceovers and be like one of the tops in the game? <laughs> definitely not, no. Uh, but this this Law & Order SVU episode was definitely one of the first acting jobs I ever uh, yeah. had and I remember I being so excited because I got to do an accent because I, I did like a North Carolina accent in it and at the time that was my jam I was like let me at that like I want to be I want to transform <laughs> like I had seen Primal Fear with Ed Norton oh um, yeah and and you may recall there's a moment in this episode where I may get a taste of the scenery a little bit. Like, I'm <laughs> chewing it so hard. There's, like, this turn when she she's, like, this innocent rape victim, and then all of a sudden she, like, turns to camera, and she's like, I want a deal. And I yeah. had seen—I was like, yes. <laughs> because when you're acting in New York, you do audition for the Law & Orders, like, more than once, usually. Or you maybe, if you're lucky, you know, get offered a, a guest spot more than one time. And— um, I guess I was really flush because I had turned one down prior. I was like, oh, you know, this this role was like one scene. I know somebody smart had told me, no, just wait, there'll be a better one. And this one came along and I was like, I get my primal fear moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was a long, uh, long tangent. But point is, I was really excited to do the accent because that was like my favorite thing to do. Um, when I had started acting. I think because it was like you, you're you so far from yourself that you're not self-conscious. I don't know. It's like the further I am away from who I really am when I'm playing a character, the less worried I am about being judged, which is just my own little weird insecurity, which is probably not that unique, actually. So I think all this by way of saying my love of doing accents probably is what led to doing the audiobooks because an agent in my, you know, early agency one day was like, hey, can you do, um, I think it was a Russian accent. And it, that was, I think, the first audiobook I did. And then pretty soon came uh, The Secret Life of Bees. I was doing a lot of Southern things. 
at the time. How do you how do you work on your accents? Are you like a just watch movies and tapes of people from those places or do you work with like a coach or like what's your deal? How do you do that? Definitely uh watch movies and and TV and YouTube clips I can find of authentic people from the places. I think like a lot of people it was just a tendency I had, you know, always just as a kid I was yeah. always imitating different voices. Um and then when I started being paid to do it, I certainly uh, invested in, um, there were CDs back in the day. And <laughs> I have had a coach, I think, three times, once for a play and once for an audiobook, um, maybe twice for an audiobook, um, which is awesome. Oh my gosh, like if someone else will pay for a coach, I'll do it all day. It's awesome. Um, the best and most involved coaching I ever had was for a play where I had a very thick Cork accent from from Ireland, Ireland. like but the county wow. Cork, which is very different from Dublin, which is what most people learn in acting school. So I, this was very specific. It was really thick. And <laughs> <laughs> I had a really good co coach. I can't do it anymore. Uh, it was a long time ago. <laughs> Um, so that was the most involved ever was, you know, it was like six months of doing this very, very wow. thick accent. Let's get more into your SVU episode. I know this is like 20 years ago at this point, <laughs> but give us the scoop. Like you, are, I love that you turned down another part so you could wait to get Siobhan. We've talked to one other person who did that and that was Megan Fahey. And oh, that's she right. she was like, this is too small. I'm going to wait it out. And mm. then she got like the lead part of her episode. And I just admire that. I don't know. That's so cool to be able to be like, no, no, no. I'm it is cool. It's, it does. It sounds like cool in retrospect. You know, I think my agent must have told me to do that. I never would have done yeah. that on my own. I was like, hey, any jobs? Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember auditioning for it at um, those offices were at the pier. Uh, I don't remember what number. Chelsea Pier. Chelsea Pier yeah. is where you can hit <laughs> golf balls. And I remember being super excited because there was this accent. I remember that I used to see the same sort of handful of girls at all of my auditions. I, I can't be sure who was, you know, at this particular one. Um but there was a kind of a group, some of them have gone on to be like humongous movie stars uh, and others are me. But uh, <laughs> but like- <laughs> Hey, you're pretty successful. Anne Hathaway used to be at a lot of my auditions. Um, Whoa. Bryce Howard, Ron Howard's daughter. Uh, although I don't know that she was around yet at this time because this was pretty young. Uh, oh, I can't remember everyone's name. Uh, uh, an actress, Katie Walder, who lives in LA now. Uh, you saying all this makes me so sad. I forgot that you got to see people in audition rooms. Like, oh my gosh, and now I it's know. all Zoom auditions. But that's an element I never really thought of. And I was like, oh yeah, that was fun seeing people. Oh yeah, yeah totally different. So different. And I haven't really done that in a very long time. I mean, before COVID too, just because I wasn't, I you know, I haven't been like auditioning as a thing that I regularly do for a long time. But that yeah. was a fun thing where you see the, and that isn't because I'm like working on that. It's just because I, I am working as a writer more. Uh, but yeah, I used to see the same people like, oh, uh, Merritt Weaver, I would see at a lot of auditions. Oh my God, I love her. She's so great. 
uh, as an And none of these people ever have been on SVU. What happened? Uh, They probably (laughs) turned it down. And then the second one never came along. Uh, you know, those are the people I remember just because you you see them in stuff later in life. Yeah. And you're like, I remember. I'm sure yeah, there were yeah. many, many uh, other people whose names are not like jumping to the front of my yeah. scrambled memory. So that was like season two. I know Law & Order had been around, but that was only right. season two of SVU. So like, do you remember like, what was the vibe? I mean, like, could you already tell like, oh, this show's going to be on for 24 seasons? <laughs> like, or, I mean. No, I had zero, zero clue. I also had not much clue how uh, that set would have felt compared to any other just because it was one of the first times I was ever employed as an actor. Uh so I didn't have anything to compare it to, but if I can sort of reach back and remember, it was a really functional set, if I remember. Like, I definitely remember Mariska Hargitay being really cool and welcoming. And and in fact, I saw her, like, I mean, 15 years later or more at a fundraiser in L.A. that was her. I'm not going to remember the name of it, but she has a, a charity. I feel like love is in the Joyful title. Joyful Heart. Joyful Heart. Okay, yes. Okay, there's a heart, I remember. Um, it was at her, an event for Joyful Heart, and she, I mean, maybe she is the best actress, which she is, but she at least pretended to remember me, and it really did seem genuine. I was like, I played the girl who was, and she was <laughs> genuinely like, oh, hey, what's up? So that confirmed my memory that she's great. I just remember that I thought that Ice T and um, oh geez, D- Belzer, Belzer, Richard Belzer. What's his character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His name Munch. Munch. Okay, I just remember that I thought that they were so funny. I was like, wait, you're allowed to be funny in this show? Oh, this is gonna be this show is gonna be something different. Like it's not just dry, you know, uh, bland like police. Uh, dialogue like they had the yeah in the episode that I was in they had that hilarious I just thought this was awesome the moment when they're like taking crime scene photos and I see he's like oh can you get one of and he like basically gets a picture with him and Munch he's like cool thanks (laughs) and just doesn't explain it just little stuff like that and I do remember that uh, Belzer would I'm pretty sure he was coming up with stuff like that like on the fly to make it fun for himself yeah, I think they lost a little bit of that when he left, unfortunately. I wish that there was a little bit more funniness to the post-Belzer world of SVU because he was really funny on it. Yeah. I'm also assuming that you spent a lot of time in hair and makeup for all of your... Yeah. Bruises. Yeah. <laughs> How I got, was that? I got well beat up there. It was uh, great. I... I was so excited to be doing any of it. I was like, bring it on. How does this work? I'm sure it was annoying. I'm sure I was like, so how do you do that? What's that glue? And what do you use that food coloring? (laughs) And I remember that we shot that um, there is a scene in a hotel room when I'm talking to, is her character Benson? Mershka. And sorry, this is like, I shouldn't, you know, I should be more law and order. No, you're crushing it. 20 years ago, you're killing it. (laughs) Um, so we're talking and it's in a hotel room and that was shot in a real hotel. And I, I'm pretty sure it was on like either 53rd or 54th in Midtown. And my dad at the time lived on 55th. So 
we had, I think it must have been a lunch break. And I was like, is it okay if I leave the trailer? I went up to my dad's apartment and like scared the shit out of him. (laughs) He was like, Jen, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Were people looking at you on the streets too, probably while you were walking? You would think. No, No. No. (laughs) New York. It's New York. New York's like, I got somewhere to be. I hope she's okay. Literally. (laughs) Dustin Hoffman can walk down the street in New York and not get bothered. Like, (laughs) <laughs> New Yorkers are over it. You can walk down the street with like half a face and they're like, eh. Another thing that I love from this episode is because fashion is so cyclical, like your character's fashion is in tr- on trend again. <laughs> it's like little baby doll florals, headband. I was like, I want to wear this right now. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm trying to remember what my outfits were. You had but a lot of like, like purple dresses, little like shirts, florals. What well, I started laughing when you said because I do remember this one shirt that was like a I don't know, top. I don't know if you call it a wrap shirt, but it like mm. cuts through the boobs, like there, you know, like it has a V and then sort of. I just remember being like, "Oh God, <laughs> what is this going to look like?" Yes, I like that fashion is cyclical too because I don't throw anything away. <laughs> It'll all come back around. <laughs> oh, another person. I just looked at the notes, but another, um, Mae Whitman from Good Girls. Yes. She's an SVU alum as well. I don't know if you've ever bonded about that. That we definitely should have. I don't know. And if we hers did. is a twist. <gasps> hers is a twist too. Like you guys both have very, yeah. um, twists. Yeah. yeah. May held out. <laughs> someone gave, <laughs> someone gave May the good advice too. Yeah. Drinking from my good girl's mug right now. Wait, the light oh, is yeah. Bright. My sister just watched that whole show and like mm. loved it. Well, what great um, actresses. I just, yeah, yeah. How did you make the shift or was it just like you were always writing? Yeah, I was always writing. Uh, I think I thought that I would be a writer, you know, like in school, I, I loved English and I wrote plays and short stories and um, acting was something that. I wasn't exactly like relying upon um, as a as a career. I remember someone saying, you're an actress with writing as a backup. That's like jumping out of a plane with like a Kleenex as your parachute. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I was always writing. I think when you're, you know, auditioning, um, you read so many scripts. And that was a great education as far as screenwriting goes. Um I had taken some classes, and but it was mostly playwriting then. And so reading all these like teleplays and, and movie scripts uh, sort of truly was my school uh, in the end. And I just started writing scripts when I was acting full-time and had written a couple sort of spec features. And when the opportunity arose. I was ready with my little script under my arm and uh, eventually got a lit agent that way. It was through acting, though. So they do go hand in hand. It makes sense. It's just cool. And then what? now that you're acting on a show that you're writing on, does that mm-hmm. change the way? Because I remember Nicole Byer one time said, like, you write all this stuff for yourself and then you realize you have to do it. And you're like, fuck, why did I? <laughs> <laughs> now I have to, like, uh, you know, do something embarrassing or whatnot. Definitely. Does it change? Uh, it's a little bit of a unique situation with Resident Alien. I was on another show that I 
was writing for before this called Awkward, which was on MTV. Oh, yeah. I I did social media at MTV during the Awkward time. Oh, cool. So I would post about Awkward all the time. That was, uh, (laughs) I loved that job so much. I'm still really close friends with all the writers. Like we, I think everybody was in a wonderful headspace during that time. Um, Like, I I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think it's a lot of our, you know, we all sort of have rose-colored memories of that time. And my point is that (laughs) the role that I did on that, I used to write myself into like a lot of tight dresses and low-cut stuff. Um, I was Lissa's mom, but she was like trying to like clutch onto her youth. So she was always wearing like inappropriately youthful things and stuff. So there were a couple of times on that show, there was one, like the prom episode where I I was like, honey, I put on my prom dress and it still fits. And I was like <laughs> teetering around in this little band-aid of a dress. And I was like, what did I do to myself? I can't even <laughs> sit down. It was like one of those things where you have to stand because the dress is so tight. And I wondered what I had done to myself. But uh, times have changed. Can I ask you a totally random um, thing? Mm-hmm. I'm a huge Strangers with Candy fan. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe we're talking to Poppy Downs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, only one episode, but iconic. The Poppy Downs Memorial, obviously huge. What was um, it like working with um, Amy Sedaris and all those people that are, I mean, Stephen Colbert, all these people that are so iconic? Fucking amazing. Love everything about that experience. So proud to be the tiny part of it. Like, still, I love it when people um, bring it up. I love it when very rarely people recognize me still, but it does happen. (laughs) It's so great because, I mean, what can you say? (laughs) Amy, completely quirky, uh, obsessed with her, still don't know if she knows who I am. Like, I'm, I'm like, obsessed. You know what I mean? Like she lived kind of near me in the West Village and I would always say hi to her. And I I just was like, you know why I'm saying hi to you, right? Like I've seen her many, many, many times in life and I still am not positive she knows who I am. I'm like, there's a reason I'm like waving maniacally. Um, She also, she had gone out with Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, a long time ago, but uh, he is was so great and he um directed a play that I was in and they were close and like sorry uh and so that like added to the lore of her because the way he spoke about her was so glowing um so I just always kind of have this hero worship of her uh and oh, then, same. I'm like, I I'm mean, deeply on. obsessed with her and her whole family. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> They're geniuses. Uh I think we have the same agent, actually. Uh, I'm pretty sure we do. And I haven't done anything about it. <laughs> but, but like, I, like, filed that away. Like, oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you about it because when I was going through your IMDb, I was like, oh, my God, Poppy Downs. <laughs> it was awesome. I'm so, uh, I feel like so lucky to have gotten to do that because what a special show. That's so cool. You're so accomplished and it seems like you really enjoy your work and, like, all of the different experiences you've had. It's been a pleasure. Curious if any, like anything from SVU or any of the plays or anything you've done were like lessons you've taken along with you that have been really good that you remember often. Oh gosh. Um, It's such a good question. Um, Well, this is not like, okay, well, one thing that 
I did think of when you said that. It's not like the most positive of messages, and I can't remember the play. But I remember early on when I was just really looking for whatever job would pay me to be a creative person. I had gotten a script for a play that I didn't think was great, and I think I had to make out with a boy in it, and whatever it was, I just wasn't—I didn't really want to do it, but it was an offer for a job. So I did it anyway. And I remember it was really lucky because it was pretty early on in my career and I didn't have a good time. You know, I didn't think the writing was very good. I didn't really want to do the making out for whatever reason. And um, and I remember just thinking like, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to do a job that I don't really want to do because this is a creative career. Why would you? Yes, it's very hard to find any work that, you know, they'll pay you to do as a writer or an actor. Um, But it's so, it requires so much dedication, so much of yourself. Writing a movie, um, acting in a play, even an episode of television, you really have to give yourself over to that 110% if you're going to be any good at it. And so, we have a limited number of years on this planet. Like, just do not take any jobs that you don't think you could make as good as they can be because you you only have so much time. Just go be a lawyer right. if if you're going to do that. You know, I, I— Yeah. Um. So I sort of made a deal with myself to never do that again. So that was— that was a good lesson, um, but that's a negative lesson. But it's just like— No, it's not negative. I agree with you because it's like, if you're going to hate your job, go somewhere else. Yeah, like, go hate my, your yeah. job. The whole point of this life is— <laughs> Go hate your I job with, boss. like, benefits and predictability, you know, if you're going to yeah, do Yeah, I had a boss who said, look, we're supposed to be having fun here. Otherwise, let's go work at a bank. Like, what are we—you know, like, same vibe, you know? Like, it's I don't just, think it's negative at all. I think it's— yeah. Well, good. (laughs) It has definitely served because just when you, you know what, this is related to SVU. Because when you say no, they just want you all the more. And I remember that that is what my agent said when she was urging me to turn down the first SVU. She said, this is like one or two scenes. Trust me, say no. They're just going to want you all the more because you told them no. And it, it, bears itself out like 99.9% of the time. And now you're in one of the most memorable classic episodes of SVU history. See, I I got my primal fear moment. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so good. I just remember watching it when it came out and all that. It's one of my favorite rewatch episodes. So that's very lucky that you made time for us. It's a great twist that you're bad. Um, (laughs) So chewed the scenery. And wait, I wanted to ask, like, because I loved your back and forth with Stephanie March. How was working with her? Like when you're in the when you're in the courtroom and you're allocuting and you're like telling all how the whole scheme went down. Like I love that part. And she was working. She scared the living shit out of me. (laughs) She was so good. Like, she was icy and so beautiful and, you know, tall. And I just—and I actually, I can remember this. She she said something like, it was your false accusation that put him there. It was like some sort of like, and you're, you know, something, something, put him there. And like, her stare could have like torn me in half. 
And that my character really deserved that comeuppance. And she was like, yeah. she was relishing it. And it was scary. I do remember Because she thought she was so smart. She's like, I got the deal first. And she's like, everybody knows that it pays out faster if you do this. Like, she knew all the little tips and tricks for how to scam. Yeah. If this was real I life, I bet she'd be getting out of prison right now. I bet she got 20 or something. I bet she'd be Ooh. getting out right now. Yeah, I don't know how much she got. You know what's... But she was probably running shit in jail, too. Yeah, that's true. Oh, you know she was. Siobhan had a whole... was fucking... She had, like, a network of sex workers, like, all (laughs) (laughs) reporting back to her. Um, Weirdly, you know what's a moment from that episode that I do remember that wasn't... I wasn't even in the scene? (laughs) It's so small, but do you remember? So, I think... So, Mariska's character... She, something bad happened to was it her mom or someone in her family? Yeah, something her bad mom happened. Dies okay, in that her mom. Oh, there yeah. you go. There you go. Something bad happened. Her mom died, and her boss is saying, or it might be Elliot when she comes back into a scene. But someone is like, "Don't you want to take some time off?" Someone's like, "Take some time off," or "Don't you want to take some time off?" And it's this tiny bit, and she just goes, "I took it," and then she like, she's like, "Took it," and then like goes past the camera with like a very, you know, like working expression, like on to the next thing. And I remember seeing it and being like, that's good acting. Wow. (laughs) Wow. She's such a badass. Classic Um, Benson. Took it. Took it. Yeah. None of those detectives ever want to take a day off. It's uh, very (laughs) non-realistic. You know, the the crimes against the young do not, do not sleep. So neither can they. (laughs) The special victims. This was awesome. Thank you so much, Jenna. Thank you so much for having me. She's so cool. I was obsessed with her. Oh my God. So so cool. Just literally a great long career doing all different things and fucking rolling with it. That's great she's great. Story. Yeah, good. And mic I just setup. love that she's an accent queen because you know I love accents. I love to do an accent. So yeah, I've been obsessed with Bob the Drag Queen about Trinity um, the Tuck <laughs> going. I live like she like Bob <laughs> doing Trinity. I live, but did you live? I've also been rewatching. I've been in a wormhole on YouTube. I've also been wa- rewatching like Bob and Peppermint going. It's fashion, is, but is it fashion? Do you know that one? No. So Peppermint wants to say it's fashion meets something, but then she like burps and then she keeps laughing and then she doesn't know what she wants to say. So she says it's fashion like ten times. Like she has to keep taking it, and then Bob finally is like, "But is it fashion?" And then they just can't stop laughing. <laughs> And yeah, just these little moments. And I just watched Kimchi. Kimchi. What am I? Kimchi and um, Trixie have a new collab makeup launch yes, that is I taking that. all of my restraint not to buy it. I mean, I'm <laughs> sitting on my fingers, hiding my credit cards. JK saved on all of my devices. Don't, I don't know. I just. <laughs> <gasps> Instead of oh. that, I bought a bunch of thigh deodorant because I need it just for the... like the time. Well, just like the spice of buying something. Like I just yeah. needed that. I'm like, if I can't have the collab makeup, at least I'll buy some thigh deodorants. So yeah. I'll, I'll get a package. <laughs> That's all I need. So, okay. Postmortem what? on Taken. Oh, we yeah. love this episode. I don't know what we learned. Just like you can't really outsmart... The, I mean, a lot of times you can't outsmart the cops. Pet, plenty of people have done it, but... I wouldn't try to... Not I our think unit. Yeah, I you also gotta... think pinning it on an innocent person sucks. Like, Because I'm totally yeah. fine with 
stealing from rich people, lying to get money from rich. Yeah, I'm okay stealing yeah. from the rich. Just literally make up a person who doesn't fit anyone's description. Like you could just make up a person, you they know, like the this happened. Yeah. I mean, you could just say that the person used a, I don't know. You could Do you just think say anyone they used a con- ever uses the word fluid when they're trying to be sexy? <laughs> Give me those or on accident. No. No, right? No. I, but I, if, if you are, please DM us. We'd love to know. <laughs> <laughs> the next porn Hit you watch, up. you're going to see it. In the next porn you watch, someone's going to be like, yes, fluids. Um, Wait, we talked about this on the live show, but I haven't even talked about this yet. Pornhub came to all the nasty shows. They are, um, their offices are in Montreal. They're sending me merch. And I was part of their weekly minutes, Pornhub minutes meeting. So Huge. in their Pornhub work meeting, I was brought up. And because every time I mentioned Pornhubs, there was a big pop from the audience. But Montreal's also proud of it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't but know I that met, it was, I didn't know it was a Canadian venture. That's cool. Yeah, I'm sure they have like cooler laws or something. I mean, maybe they're just from there. Who who knows? But they're yeah. hiring really cool, awesome women. That um, I met one of the women that worked there, and it was just Hell yeah. it was thrilling. Everyone's trying to like talk to the president of Warner Brothers. I'm like, excuse me, I have to go talk to Pornhub. I mean, but my dream is like that they hire you for corporates. Like, if you guys are gonna do like a corporate like retreat or something, get like an amazing, funny comedian who knows your content and like bring you out to like fucking the Bahamas or wherever they're doing that shit. Wow, you think they take them to the Bahamas? I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a huge higher up thing. I don't know. But anyway, I just think it's funny that everybody that thinks I'm a great liar always gets fucking busted. Like, the the story of the real-life girl who did this, like, everybody just thinks, you know, like, I've just got that kind of face. And then it's like, yeah, but your sister turned on you immediately. What? I just looked to the right, you know, my open suitcases right next to me, and I have, like, a connect. They looked through my stuff. That's so oh, crazy. Oh, yeah, I've gotten those Did before. you get a sheet, too? No, but I, I, I didn't check a bag. But I've gotten those before when I've checked a bag. Wow. They leave you a little note that's like, Dear John, I was in your shit. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Sorry to have been so distracted. No, that's but okay. all I of a sudden I was like something underneath your door. I didn't know what that was. I'd be um, more freaked out. I would definitely be more freaked <laughs> out about that. I was just saying that I feel like it's um it's always the girls that are like, I'm a great liar that get busted. You know, like you're just you're just, uh, you're too confident. This girl, the girl in real life, you know, the girl in real life really thought like, I just thought I could get away with this. And like, yeah. Yeah, but maybe- sister turned on your ass. Yeah, but she walked so Casey Anthony could run. You know what I mean? So <laughs> sometimes She was just trying to rip off Disney. She wasn't trying to kill a kid. Fuck. I know, but remember when she <laughs> took them to Disney and like, or to these offices and made the cops keep, she's like, oh yeah, I worked here. I worked here. No one around the office. Like just the <gasps> yes. commitment to the lying is like very impressive. Oh, okay. So that part, you're talking about a B-side part of Casey Anthony's story. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not the murdering, just the sl- the trying to fleece Disney. Okay, got it. Got yeah. it. Got yeah. it. But What's listen, the- I'm team Casey Anthony. Listen, <laughs> she did a good job. She got away with it. I <laughs> I can't. Oh my god. <laughs> no, it's god. fucked up. She belongs. She deserves to be in jail. She's a terrible person, but I'm just saying like for someone that doesn't seem that smart. She really got away with murder. Well, that's what I'm saying. I feel like this girl, what, like, it's like the stupider, the people that are stupider, I think, get away with things. The people that are like, I'm so clever, like, don't get away with it. I don't know. Yeah, you don't want to be too cocky. Also, what I learned from this episode is like, 
when the det- I just hate I don't even know if it's a lesson. I just really hate when the detectives are like so dead set on a person or how something happened that they're not seeing the evidence right. and like what's around them. Also, stop this is like um the episode damaged with Ari Grainer. It's like stop giving a deal so early. Or is that right. not I mean with mean, whatever. All of these are in my head, but like stop giving <laughs> a deals to the people that whose fault it is. Yeah. Who actually did it. No, they gave Ari a deal. But it was just not a death penalty, I think. I think, or something, yeah. It was like that they wouldn't. Oh, it was with the guy, because the guy took the deal. Yeah, she turned on him, and then but then she got it. Yeah, 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 there was a deal. It's just like doing the deals with the masterminds. I'm also not pro Casey Anthony. I just, I want (laughs) to say that. No, I hear what you're saying, like, they didn't do the right. It was like what you said about Scott Peterson. I wouldn't no, say that either honestly, of us. No, honestly, it's actually what you're saying about the too cocky. The prosecution in the Casey Anthony case was too cocky. They didn't really yeah. try. They thought, um, oh, we yeah, have yeah, this yeah. case. And so they didn't work as hard. And so that that's what I meant. That's not yeah. what I meant. But that's what I meant. That The yeah. cockiness. Stop being cocky, everyone. Yeah. Um, okay, this week's What Would Sister Peg unhinged. do? This was an unhinged <laughs> post-mortem. And, um, yeah. Well, they're going too long anyway, so we're going to have to cut some of the fat. <laughs> um, so What Would Sister Peg do this week, which is our weekly segment where we give you guys an organization, an article, a book, a doc, something to help you uh, flesh out a little bit more about what we touched on in today's episode. I really, like, I feel like this episode kind of hits you with a gut punch at the end, just that this guy is raped and murdered in prison for something that he didn't even do. And it kind of, I wanted to highlight an organization called Just Detention International. And they are an organization that is seeking to end sexual assault and rape in all forms of incarceration and detention. I feel like everyone loves to make prison soap drop jokes. In fact, this this show does it all the time in earlier seasons. I think they've stopped. But, you know, the, the vision of this organization is that incarcerated people deserve a chance to heal and that rape is not a part of the penalty. And uh, they offer survivor packets to those who are incarcerated, as well as training for counselors to help survivors inside and outside of jail. So if you're interested in more information about this organization, it is uh, justdetention.org. And that's, yeah. as always, going to be on our What Would Sister Peg Do highlight in our Instagram that says WWSPD. Yeah, it is always shocking how willing the SVU detectives are to make fun of being raped yeah. in jail. That is a flaw yeah. of and, our In peeps. early seasons, it's constantly like, you're going to be someone's bitch in prison. It's like, let's settle down a little bit, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah. And so next that's week, um, uh, another episode, We're Not Stopping, Baby, <laughs> Undercover Mother. Sounds like a fun song. Not, it isn't. Um, Undercover Mother, six, season 16, episode 15. And this reminds me, I need to cancel my VPN. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson. And to our mixer, John Bradley. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun-dun!
<laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.